0: This episode is sponsored by a company I've used for well over a decade, and that is 5.11. I wore their uniforms back in Anaheim, California, and have used their products ever since. From their incredibly strong yet light footwear to their cut uniforms for both male and female responders, I found them hands down the best workwear in all the departments that I've worked for. Outside of the fire service, I use their luggage for everything and I travel a lot. And they are also now sponsoring the 7X team as we embark around the world on the human performance project. We have Murph coming up in May. And again, I bought their plate carrier. I ended up buying real ballistic plates rather than the fake weight plates. And that has been my ride or die through Murph the last few years as well one area I want to talk about that I haven't in previous sponsorship spots is their brick-and-mortar element. They were predominantly an online company up till more recently, but now they are approaching 100 stores all over the US. My local store is here in Gainesville, Florida, and I've been multiple times. And the discounts you see online are applied also in the stores. So as I mentioned, 5.11 is offering you 15% off every purchase that you make. But I do want to say more often than not they have an even deeper discount especially around holiday times in fact if you're listening to this in the months of april or may 511 days is coming up between may 9th and may 16th you will get 20% off all gear and apparel and that applies both online and in store but if you use the code shield15 that's s h i e l d 1 5 you will get 15% off your order or in the stores every time you make a purchase. And if you want to hear more about 5.11, who they stand for and who works with them, listen to episode 580 of Behind the Shield podcast with 5.11 regional director Will Ayers. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back onto the show former Navy SEAL and author Jack Carr. Now, for those of you who hadn't heard my first conversation with Jack, I highly urge you to go to episode 266 as he leads us through his journey into the military, his time with the teams, his transition out, and his journey into writing. Now, as we reconvened, we discussed a host of new topics from canine therapy, his latest book, Only the Dead, leadership, mental health and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredibly powerful conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 750 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories, so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Jack Carr. Enjoy. Well, Jack, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come back on the podcast. Ironically, we spoke last time in March 2020, so a lot has happened in the world since we chatted, but for people listening, that was episode 266, and I welcome want to welcome you back today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that was uh, a very uncertain
1: time, uh, the beginning of COVID, the beginning of lockdowns, the beginning of everybody freaking out about uh, whether there was going to be groceries in the grocery store, or whether someone was going to be on the other end of the line if someone called 911. So it was a very uncertain time. Uh, and of course, very uncertain time to launch a book in the midst of all that as well. So that was interesting.
0: All right. Well, I want to go down that road in a minute because some of the the kind of subtext of your work is... The, yeah, you know, the pros and cons of the, uh, governmental structure that we work amongst. Um, so, but before I do, I listen to our conversation again to make sure I didn't kind of cross over because I know we've got a shorter amount of time this time. Um, you were about to get a dog for your little boy. So talk to me about that. You know, did that, did that follow through and what have you seen if it did?
1: It did. So our uh, middle child has really severe special needs, uh, uh, global uh, global developmental disability. That means he needs 24-7 full-time care forever. But yeah, I think that was we we're expecting to get the dog. Uh, but then COVID hit and nobody could fly because it was the dog was being trained up as a service dog in California. And uh, it took a little while longer to get that dog. So I think we ended up getting a scout in I want to say August um, of that year. So it it was a few months after uh, we should have gotten back. So she stayed on her vacation and uh, showed up a few months later. And she's just fantastic. Just an amazing dog. Not just for our our son with special needs, but for the entire family.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I think last time we recorded, you could hear my dog in the background. Sadly, she passed away the end of last year, but I got another German Shepherd that kind of overlapped. So uh, I continue my dog therapy, too.
1: There you go. There you go. Love dogs. Love dogs.
0: So when we spoke last time, um the terminal list was being I think I believe it was being made into the show. Um we were just talking about True Believer in that conversation. So walk me through from March 2020 your experience of trying to release the show, trying to trying to release the book and what impact had that had you excuse me on you as an author and a you know a member of the now um, television community and then I kind of want to unpack some other things after that.
1: Yeah, so I think I talked to the showrunner of the show in uh, December of 2019, and we've talked every day. I was just actually texting him. I don't know if I can say exactly where he is. Probably not. He's somewhere doing some location scouting um, and we're rushing to get some scripts done before the pending writer strike, which might happen tonight at midnight, I think. But then that means it's pens down, pencils down on, on that side of the house. But uh, but I talked to him first then, and then we've talked every day since. So when we last talked, we were working on those scripts for the terminal list. And uh, essentially that was a sponge. And usually they like to get rid of the author right away in these situations. So you're you're not on set like yelling you know you ruined my vision or you're not just uh kind of an impediment to this process that's very collaborative in nature and very different from writing a novel where it's just the author uh so it, it, it i was a sponge and i was learning and i was advising on all these scripts but throughout that whole process to be a part of that and to have someone amazing like the showrunner david digilio really mentor me along through that process uh so this time i'm writing uh, an episode write the, the finale um so i was i was learning so that was the early stages where it was really just me the showrunner um, uh, Antoine Fuqua and Chris Pratt and that was like the four of us on these on these scripts uh, and then we put the writer's room together and, and started working more collaboratively and then each one of those people in the writer's room gets assigned a certain script at a certain point for an episode uh, and it just goes but it's still a very collaborative. Process so that was about the the time uh, when we last spoke and when we were in that stage just developing these rough drafts of the scripts um, and uh, also Chris hadn't really announced yet that there was a show coming um, I think there have been a couple of little leaks here and there but I was like. Man, I really hope he says something before the, this uh, next book comes out, uh, or as this next book comes out. And now I'm glad that he didn't. It was after it hit the New York Times list for um, for Savage Son. Uh so it hit. Uh, so after it hit the New York Times list, then Chris did this posted a video. Uh, then I went on Joe Rogan. Then later that uh, summer, went on Tucker Carlson. So now I'm glad that none of those three happened beforehand, because now you don't have to listen to anyone saying, "Oh, the only reason you hit the New York Times list is because you went." on Joe Rogan or only because Chris Pratt tweeted or whatever, whatever. So I'm really glad now that all three of those people didn't do anything until after it hit the New York Times list. So um, getting back to your original question, I've just been learning over these last few years, the scripts and then casting and then into production and throughout production being on set, I had a little cameo on it as well, but seeing how that whole ecosystem works and then into post-production and then the marketing side and then through the actual launch and the follow-up and then into negotiations over the next um, uh, uh, iteration of the series, which is this spinoff series on ben edwards so it's a prequel series that follows a uh, one of the bad guys essentially but shows how he became bad his journey from the seal teams into the cia um and then from there we should roll into the true believer uh, which is the second book in the series so it's been a busy
0: a busy few years so when i hear about or you know think about a book being turned into a film or or a show it can be something incredible i think band of brothers is probably a good example of that or it can be something disastrous like the beach i read alex garland's book beautiful book in my opinion they butchered it in the film so how were you able to to retain control because ultimately if the book is successful if told properly through the medium of screen the film should be successful too but so often you you kind of have the the hollywood of someone's dream and then if you're not careful it kind of gets lost in that well it's always worked let's do it the same way again
1: Yeah, you know, I've was i been a student of this my entire life, just from the fan perspective. So reading all these books that I read growing up by Tom Clancy and uh, David Morrell and Nelson DeMille and AJ Quinnell and J.C. Paul and Mark Olden and Louis L'Amour and Stephen Hunter uh, and all these guys who had protagonists in many of their stories that had backgrounds that I wanted in real life one day. And then I got to see how those books, not all of them, but some of them were adapted to film and adapted to television. And I got to look at it from the fan's perspective, having read the books first in most cases, and then said, oh, this or this is what I liked. Not this worked or didn't back then, more more of like, oh, I really like this. Oh, this was a change. Oh, that was great. Or hey, that was a change. I didn't really like that. I wish they could have done this. So I've been a student of this my entire life, just from that fan perspective. So I knew that it was going to change because now we're telling this story through a visual medium. And I can't check in a book, doesn't matter what kind of set piece you come up with. You can have Aliens Matter Space coming down and doing things. You can do anything you want. You don't have to think about budgets or locations, anything. You have total, complete control, total, complete freedom to create whatever you want in hollywood there are constraints because you can't uh necessarily have all these things that you you want uh because of budgets um and also you're telling it a uh, story differently so you can't just write in what characters are thinking you have to show that through action uh through a look whatever it might be and you have a certain amount of time um like this book this latest one only the dead it's the longest so far and i thought when i started out when i finished the outline i thought oh, it will be about one hundred and fifteen thousand words well, I blew past 115, blew past 120, blew past 125, blew past 130. So it's 138, 139,000 words. Um, and in scripts form, you can't really do that. Uh, but here, there are no constraints when you're writing a novel. So, um, and I always thought back to First Blood and how David Morrell wrote that. It's his debut novel, 1972, introduces the world to Rambo, early 80s. We have the film First Blood both fantastic, but both very different. And uh, so I, I came to approach it like that. Like, I feel very fortunate that anyone's interested in making this into a series. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I looked at it. Like, I I feel like I won the lottery just being born in this country. But aside from that, just having anybody make this and not just anybody, the exact actor I wanted to star, the exact director, Antoine, and all of us working together collaboratively on it, uh, where I get to learn and grow as an artist, as a writer. So I, I knew that any changes with that team were gonna be the right kind of changes. And specifically the Ben Edwards character. It's an example of something that a character that is much more developed on screen than, it was, than he was in the book. And because of that, because of what Taylor Kitsch brought to the role, well, now we have a spinoff series starring Taylor Kitsch.
0: Beautiful. I mean, I'm saying this not because we're interviewing now. I am very selective these days on what I watch, because I don't know if you have the same thing. The older you get, the more you see the same story rehashed. And if it's not done really well, you know, you're know you like, I just wasted 90 minutes. But the series was phenomenal. And Taylor was in Only the Brave. So I thought that he was amazing in that as well. So you've got some great actors. And they did take the book and they did an incredible job of putting it on the screen. I actually... When we wrote, when we spoke last time, I was writing a book. I finished that, and I'm diving into the fiction realm now. Um, and there's a message that I want to impart. And my pipe dream is to make it into a film or a series as well. But it'll be, you know, through a firefighter's perspective. And the reason for that is there's X amount of people that read nonfiction. There's another small, smaller percentage that read fiction, like actually physically read a book. But the, the world of screen is really how we impart these lessons into people's minds. So what have you seen as far as the kind of uh, the subtext of some of these through lines, the, the reasons why these characters are having these struggles and some of the, the, uh, the politics behind it the, to be able to bring that message to a much wider audience? Are you finding that's been a great platform to add to paper?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been so many... Uh, instances where the screenwriting process has now influenced my writing process. Um, Some things very directly, um, where we uh, wrote something into the script that I really enjoyed, and then I've just um, kind of uh, added to it or morphed it over into the next books. And If you're really studying it, then you can see it from watching the show and then reading maybe not so devil's hand, but for sure in the blood. So my last novel, and then this one, so the, these last two, uh, will be the ones where you could tell, Oh, I see where that came from. If you're, if you're studying and paying attention, but, uh, you know, most people probably, probably aren't that's, that's fine too, but it's, uh, it's been a positive influence in that respect. And then as far as the, the characters resonating, you know, I think that, uh, these characters are all on a journey and just like we all are in life. And so each book, they evolve and hopefully they're taking the lessons of the past of their experiences and past books, and then applying those lessons going forward. It's not just the exact same characters picked up and dropped into a new scenario, but they're still essentially the same. No, they should have grown, especially based on many times traumatic events that occur in the previous novels Um, grow from that, be dealing with that. It's a part of their foundation now on which to build. So I think that's why these books are resonating when there's so many out there for people to choose from because that we're all on a journey so regardless of who you are where you live uh you're on a journey just like the characters in these novels so i think that's a kind of a common thread that uh, has made these books stand out to readers and listeners and, and now viewers of the
0: show now since we last spoke we had the afghani withdrawal we had a pandemic there's been all kinds of things you know the some of the through lines of the books are you know corruption there's greed you know, whether it's in the poaching arena, whether it's here in the States, whatever it is. And this is me speaking now, personally, I've watched an amazing opportunity to have really in-depth conversations to really unify the nation. And I feel like the polar opposite happens. So not politically as far as from one party or another, because I feel like our system is broken and neither are worth talking about. (laughs) That's just me. But just through that kind of lens that you've already been writing about this kind of theme, What have you seen as far as the leadership or lack thereof of the last few years?
1: Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's uh, it's very difficult to talk about because it's uh, so disheartening pretty much across the board. Um, And so I don't I don't like bringing people down. um, And I feel like anyone can just apply some common sense to the landscape and realize how social media has been used to divide, um, not, uh, not inform and bring together, um, but has really been used as a weapon more often. Not not in every case, but I, say, I think overall, if you were to look at it honestly, you could say, ah, oh, okay, I see this has been used to manipulate, uh, to divide, and then ask the next question, why or who benefits uh, politicians, obviously, to galvanize bases, uh, to remain in power, uh, to remain part of that permanent Washington establishment and who else oh tech companies obviously um and uh and who has gained some more power uh well the government uh and by default politicians who are part of that uh institution of that government and these tech companies uh, to say nothing of pharmaceutical industries and the, the military industrial complex and everything else that is intertwined there in a gigantic bureaucracy. Um, So it's pretty disheartening um, from many different perspectives. So, um, you know, I just think uh, the rest of us here is trying to do the best we can as citizens. But if we don't take a breath, really, and dive into the pages of history, um, then we're all too Uh, we're readily, I guess, uh, available to be upon and to be manipulated because we get distracted so easily and because we're so divided and because we're so, uh, it's so easy to retweet something just because your side or someone who uh, has a lot of followers did so. And now you're just a part of that problem and uh essentially you're a sheep and you're not thinking for yourself and you're a subject not a citizen and that's what these platforms and these politicians are, are doing to all of us and you know i don't have a good solution and i don't know where it goes but it, uh, it certainly gives me a lot to work with in the novel it certainly gives me a lot of bad guys for uh it's very therapeutic to write these things for anyone watching or listening because my main character gets to do things that if you did in real life well you'd probably be going to, well you would be going to prison for the rest of your life and you'd probably be going to death row
0: so one of the things that you're known for is is highlighting great leaders in history, you know, battles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. One of the things that I've talked about a lot on here is so many, you know, so often, like a, a whole nation is blamed for a dictator. You know, whether it's Germany with with the Nazi regime, whether it's you know the entire Caucasian population for slavery, and when you actually dig in, it's usually the the greedy and and hateful few. That are able to oppress a large amount of people. So, why do you think? And this is an interesting question for you because you have immersed yourself so much in combat and, and history. Why is it that we do not seem to learn the the true resounding lesson, which is when people start trying to divide the as a as a community, you unify and you get rid of the people that are trying to to um, abuse the population that the nation themselves have chosen or they've been elected to be in that position because that's the one common denominator that i see it's always a few people ruining it for an entire nation
1: yeah I, mean, I don't have a good answer for that but um, i think by that point you've already given up too much control and giving up isn't the right word when you look at most of history because you never had it um, that's what makes america so different the united states so different is that we had that control we had limits on government. And ever since our inception, that government has been clawing away, trying to uh, usurp those rights uh, from the bill of rights, from the constitution. But, uh, but for most of history, most countries did not have that. So they weren't starting where we were not, and I shouldn't say starting, but let's say after the revolutionary war, after, um, after, uh, after the the bill of rights, let's say. Um, So they'd be, they're crawling out of a much deeper hole. And then we, dug one for ourselves. Uh, We dug ourselves that hole. Most people throughout history never had that because you always had, and I shouldn't say always, for the most part, you always, you had uh, a small number of people uh, that exerted control by force because they had the monopoly on force over their populations. Um, So you really didn't have um, as much of a choice as we have here in the United States. And we somehow have chosen to dig ourselves a hole in particularly uh, let's say since, let's say since the, I mean, you can say over the last few years, but it goes back a lot farther than that. It goes back to, I think not holding elected officials and uh, military leaders accountable. So, uh, really during and after Vietnam all the way through today. Um, and then of course this machine that just becomes, uh, not just a political machine, but essentially a gigantic bureaucracy of power based on money and lobbying um, and favors and all these things that, uh, that go in to, um, to this, this ecosystem, this, uh, this community that is just so rotten to the core and has gotten so big and so powerful. Um, So I think we're, we continue to dig this hole for ourselves. And I think a lot of that goes back to not understanding our history, not understanding why we have, these freedoms, why we have all these opportunities, what was sacrificed so that we could do that, what was so different about the United States, what made it that so many people wanted to come here uh, for that, those same opportunities that didn't exist anywhere else in the world. And well, now we're, now we're digging that hole and we're ending up right back where um, most of civilization has been from the beginning of time.
0: Yeah, well, you're talking to someone who you know moved from another country and came to the U.S. So there we go. And my my version of the American dream is not Winnebagos and jet skis and you know hyper triggered. It's simply community, kindness, compassion, you know, and and service. So uh, I think we need to refine that. Now, one of the areas I think that we hopefully can turn the tide is through the art of storytelling. If you think about it, that's what's lost. You know, when these these kind of 15-second TikToks and these three-line tweets as we've lost, you know, story. So what can people um, expect now when we get to Only the Dead?
1: Ooh. Uh, well, this is a novel of truth and consequences. And I have a theme that guides each and every one of my novels. I like to stay on theme, whether it's directly or indirectly. So I have a, a theme for every novel. I have a title before I start. So I'm not wasting bandwidth thinking about those things. And I find the theme really helps guide. keeps me efficient, working towards uh, towards a goal, working towards an end that I know, because I've also written a one-page executive summary and an outline. Um, and in that one-page executive summary, what I do and what I have done, for each novel is read it and ask myself if this is worth a year, year and a half of my life. And if the answer is yes, then I read it again. And I say, if someone was to walk by uh, Hudson News in the airport and were to pick this book up and open the jacket here and read a little bit about what the book's about, would they be willing to invest time that they're never going to get back? In this story, and if the answer to that is yes or probably, then then I'm all in, and uh, and it's and it's go 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 to uh, to get through these things. But in this book, there are a lot of questions answered that I left lingering over the past few. I've I, especially after the last one, but in each of the novels, I left a little bit out there, and most all of those are answered in this one. In uh, in only the dead. So it's uh, for people that are looking for answers, then uh, this is their book.
0: Beautiful. Well I want, to thank you for sending me a copy as well. Um when we spoke last time, you had visited I forget the other country, but I think maybe it was part of Russia and then also South Africa to prepare for some of the earlier books. When, I think we're six excuse me, we're three books deep now in since our last conversation. Where else around the world have you been found yourself in the research process? Well, I
1: really wanted to get to Israel, particularly for the last book, and there's a little bit of that in, in this one as well, but it was COVID, and anybody who tried to get to Israel during COVID knows how difficult it was, especially if you're not an Israeli citizen, and how it kept changing, and so I never, I didn't get to go there, but I put so much work into that research, and I sent it to a family in Israel that had three generations read it, so someone in their 90s, someone in their 60s, someone in their 30s, and uh, they all said that they couldn't believe that I hadn't been there and put boots on the ground um, in Israel, because I how detailed it was. And I was like, Oh yes, that's what I was hoping for. And that's why I put all that, all that work into it. Um, so I want to get back to to Israel because I, I want to uh we'll confirm a few things and then work it into future novels as well work a few more characters in there into future novels as well but uh covid did make it very difficult to travel and for this one i went down to argentina and did some research down there but then once people read this they'll realize that argentina isn't really in it uh and that's because it didn't really work it felt forced so the location changed a little bit uh well changed a lot but uh but when people read it they'll be able to tell which one was might have been Argentina, and it just didn't, it just didn't work. And I didn't want to feel like I was forcing this place in there when I thought it was going to work in outline form, and then it just didn't end up being the right, uh, right location. So I switched it. So the same things happen, just happens in another, another location. And that's just, uh, that's just how it goes sometimes.
0: So Throughout the series, you address some of the yeah, the other side of service, whether it's the psychological impact of of combat and service, whether it's physiological and TBIs. So talk to me about that through your perspective. I mean, I've got a lot of SEALs on the show. Um, a lot of them have lost brothers and sisters. I myself as a firefighter have lost so many people. So talk to me about, you know, what you've seen, whether it's, you know, during your time in or the transition out of some of the men that you serve with.
1: Yeah, a lot of people don't think about firefighters, EMTs, first responders, police officers, but firefighters in particular um, uh, having to deal with uh, with these with these issues with post traumatic stress and with suicide. Um, and uh, we hear a lot about the military, but you don't really hear about firefighters too much. And it's a man, it's so so tough. Um, but yeah, you see it. People have it such a hard time, uh, and it's not just leaving the other life behind, but it's it's that and the other struggles that come along with it add the TBI to it, the traumatic brain injury, add the post-traumatic stress and the, the guilt to it, um, add maybe some sleeping issues with sleep, uh, with sleep, add some ambient dependency, add some alcohol, add some marital issues, add some financial issues, go to the VA uh, for post-traumatic stress, get handed a bag of pills that who knows how that's going to react with everything else that you have going on. And all those things I just described are taking up bandwidth in your head that isn't focused on that transition, on moving on, on building off a foundation, whether it's good experiences or bad experiences, you learn from both and continue to build. You don't have a choice. Um, But I've seen a lot of people struggle and even recently, a few people take their own lives. So it's, I don't you know, I don't have an answer other than if there are a lot of Organizations out there that didn't exist, let's say after after Vietnam, that exist today that you can reach out to. Um, so those that's fantastic, but I don't really have answers. It's just it's just tough and it's heartbreaking. Um, not just for the person that you know, but for the people that you don't know in that person's circle the the sons and daughters and spouses and parents and everyone else it affects. I mean, it's a multi generational effect um, that they that these suicides have. And and once again, I I don't have a
0: good answer for how to deal with it. Yeah, well, I mean, it is such a multifaceted issue, and and when those all combine, you create this perfect storm, you know. And obviously, with TBI, there's a term operator syndrome now that brings that in as well, which I think is excellent. Um, but one of the things I see people really struggle with, and we touched it on, touched on this in the first uh, episode, but is the transition out now you know having that purpose being able to serve in, in in a different way i think is the misunderstanding you know you're a firefighter and you're like okay i'm going to have to go and teach at a fire academy or to teach at paramedic you know community college and we forget actually the incredible skill set that we have that can be applied to different ways. And we also forget that it was kindness and compassion that led us into the uniform. And so we can find service in a different way, whether it's writing or podcasting or starting a charity or, you know, whatever it is. So talk to me, you're in this incredibly successful you know, arena now that you built for yourself through your transition what would you say to the military member or the first responder as they're preparing to transition out to empower them to realize that there's a gamut of things that they can do with that selfless service that burns in their heart?
1: Yeah, I think it's about identifying what that next mission is. Um, and uh, for me, it was about finding that, that passion, which is uh, writing, um, that mission, which is taking care of our son with the severe special needs and combining those to go forward with purpose, so I think you identify those two things. And it also, once you identify the things that you uh, you want to do and, and don't want to do, uh, makes it very easy to, I shouldn't say easy, I don't like that word, but it makes it more efficient to uh, narrow down choices. Let's say, um, you know a location in which you want to live or you know the, these things, and then you get an offer uh, for a certain amount of money to move to a certain place. Um, and well, if it didn't hit, these certain wickets already. The answer is already no. You don't have to fly out there, take your spouse with you, look around for houses, look at schools, talk about, hey, is this going to be a good fit for us? Uh, I think you need to make those decisions before the offer even comes in because that money that comes in, it's a ton of money, but you have to do X, Y, or Z. Okay. Um, but now you're starting from scratch. You're starting those conversations with your spouse from scratch. Um, and you have an incentive to go and do this thing, which might be the financial, uh, could be other things as well. But if you've identified ahead of time, those yeses and nos, it is so much easier to say no to that. Let's say it's $250,000 to go to City X. Um, and that, and that, that comes in, but you've already decided that you're going to live in these other, wherever it is or whatever it might be, that's an easy no. And you don't have to consider it. You don't even have to consider it. And you're not now wasting bandwidth. You're not wasting weeks of conversations of stressing over if we need to do this, of going out there, doing all that. Well, guess what? That's all bandwidth. It's not focused on that mission, on that passion to figure out that purpose. Um, So I think identifying those things ahead of time can be extremely helpful and not wait for things to come to you, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does completely. That's just some great advice. So thank you. So I want to be very mindful of the time. I know you've literally got another interview to do in a second. So the book is out on May 16th. Firstly, where can people find that?
1: They can find it anywhere books are sold. Uh, it is available for pre-order. And I always get the question of if the audiobook drops the same day. And yes, it does. And then I get the question, is Ray Porter reading it again? Yes, he is. And Ray Porter is just amazing Shakespearean trained actor, dear friend now, who uh, has read all the novels to date and uh, to include uh, this one on May 16th. So,
0: um, yeah, it's, it's coming in hot soon. And when can we expect the next Amazon series?
1: Well, we have a the strike coming up, and I'm not sure how. I think it's been a, quite a few years since the last writer strike, and I'm not sure how that's going to impact production. So, not exactly sure is the is the answer, but uh, uh, that's just how it goes. So, in the future, uh, <laughs> it looks like it, things are looking good for the spinoff series and for the uh, the True Believer season two of the Terminal List beautiful
0: well jack i want to say thank you so much um obviously your uh, your pendulum swing has swung very high now so i appreciate you carving out 30 minutes but it's been another amazing conversation i want to thank you for being so generous with your time again
1: oh thank you so much for having me i sincerely appreciate it I sincerely appreciate the support and hopefully i'll uh, see you again soon